All right, well, we, uh, I think we're in like week seven or something. There's going to be uh, like 60 weeks or so of this series. It's going to last a long time uh, through the series of uh, Book of Mark. If you have your copy of God's Word, your printed copy, your digital copy, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter two. Hey, guess what? We made it through chapter one, so give yourselves a hand. We got it? Yeah, we're on to chapter two. Good, good stuff. So we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is going to be our passage of Scripture for today. And while you're preparing your Bible for that, or your, uh, your phone or tablet or whatever, um, just a real quick uh, recap. We, we introduced John the Baptist. He made the way. He paved the way. shared about the kingdom of heaven, uh, baptizing people, and uh, talked about the wilderness. We spent a couple of weeks on that. And uh, then Jesus came along and, and, and called his first disciples. He walked in authority, was casting out demons, made demons tremble. Uh, he healed a man that was, uh, had leprosy. We saw uh, about that last week. And this man who had leprosy uh, just did not feel worthy to come to him because le- uh, people who had leprosy weren't allowed to because they were unclean. They had to stay outside of the city and they were ostracized and they were in, lo- in, in like an island all to themselves. And so, uh, but this man boldly came to Jesus because he knew, he knew that Jesus could provide healing. And there's so many people that walk in spiritual leprosy. They, they feel like they're so unclean, so unworthy to come to Jesus. And let me tell you, we're all unworthy to come to Jesus. When I get on my knees and I pray, or if I'm driving somewhere and I'm praying, or if, I, if I'm lifting someone up in prayer, or if I go to a hospital visit, I'm not worthy for that, okay? Uh, just because I, I'm a sinner, okay? Just like you, we're all sinners, okay? But people who have this spiritual leprosy have this, this, this lie in their head from the enemy saying, you cannot show up at church. God doesn't love you. Uh, you're not good enough. Do you know how many people out there that live like that? There are tons of people that live like that, that feel like they, they are unworthy, that they, have, um, that they are living, uh, that there's a lie inside them that, the, that Satan has, has brought up to them. And so, um, but people who have spiritual leprosy um, walk around like that. And so if that is you, I just want to let you know that you can come to him just as you are. The man who had leprosy did just that. Came to him just like he was. Unclean, because you don't need to come to him clean. Jesus takes care of that. And so as we move on into, um, into chapter 2, uh, we're going to talk about um, through the eyes of Jesus is the title of my message for today. Through the eyes of Jesus. And we're going to see a glimpse, a perspective of what Jesus sees. Not just what we see, but what Jesus would see. So look uh, at Mark, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered into Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the words to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So that he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So, let's look what we see, and let's look what Jesus sees. So, you have a crowd of people inside this, this house. They're in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is, is sort of his base of operations. In fact, some biblical scholars believe that this is actually in the, in the home of, of, uh, of Simon Peter, okay, one of the disciples, and his brother Andrew. And of course, uh, Peter was married, his, his wife. And so, uh, in this home, whether it was in his home or another home, we know he's in Capernaum. Capernaum is a city um, that is uh, the northern part of, um, of the Sea of Galilee, and so it's about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And so this is really how he has his base of operation, especially early on in his ministry. And so a lot of people are in attendance, and some people are crowded around outside, and, and they've heard of the, him healing the man with leprosy, and that caught the attention. And then he is teaching, and so all of these people want to know, who is this guy? Who, who is this man that has come and entered into our village? And so some people at the attendance, they see this scene of these people who are lowering this uh, paralyzed man down from the ceiling, and they actually, they, they rip a hole in the ceiling as we just read, and some people see this as an interruption. Why are you interrupting this teaching? You're interrupting. Some people in there saw this as just an interruption. Some people may, may have seen this as, as hey, you're, you're selfish for wanting to try to put this man in front of other people's needs. There are other people who could be sick as well, and you're cutting a hole in somebody's roof that's not even your own and lowering down. You're so selfish. Maybe the homeowner, if I was a homeowner, I would have looked at it as vandalism. Okay, you put a hole in my ceiling. Okay? There's lots of different ways we can look at it, but what does Jesus see? What does Jesus see? There are three things I want us to look at in today's passage that I think Jesus sees. Number one, Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. It says there in, in, uh, in verse 5. There in, in verse 5, it says, um, when Jesus saw their faith. So we know that. Having the belief to do whatever it takes to get in front of Jesus so that you would be forever changed is a very bold move of faith. Whatever it takes so you can be changed. They did whatever it took to take their friend, these four people, to take their friend to get them to Jesus. Why? Because they had the belief that Jesus could change him. Because they heard what he did with the man with leprosy. So they did whatever it takes. I mean, there's a crowd, no problem. There's a ceiling, no problem. We're going to go through it. I would have thought going through the crowd would have been easier than going through the ceiling, but I guess not. And so they, they did not let anything stand in their way. Their faith was a risky faith. Imagine, 
<laughs> if, you, if you're tearing out the ceiling, the ceiling tiles and you're, you're lowering your friend down, is there automatically going to be an opportunity where Jesus is going to, going to heal him? You don't know that for sure. They don't know that. It's a risky faith. What if we lower him down and Jesus just looks at him and that's all he does? Or what if Jesus gets upset because we're interrupting? I mean, it is a risky faith. What kind of faith do we live in? You know, some people could have been there in the crowd thinking, what, what are you thinking? What, what are you doing? Have you ever done something in your life that you feel like God's called you to do and you had other people in your life saying, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? That doesn't make sense. It's a radical faith. Is, is faith characterized like, is our faith characterized by that? Is it bold? Is it risky? Do we pray prayers that make people nervous? <laughs> Do we pray prayers that make people around us a little nervous? Or do we pray prayers and people say, well, I, I, just, I just don't want you to be disappointed. I know you're praying for this, but I just don't want you to be disappointed. Don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you from believing and praying those prayers of faith. Because if people are saying that, it means that you are saying prayers of faith. So we, we, we see that, that this, these people had, had an incredible risky faith. If you believe that God's calling you to do certain things out in faith, that don't let anything stop you. For instance, you could be a, a, a single parent. Okay, maybe you're a single mom or, or maybe you're bringing your kids to church or, or maybe your spouse is not coming with you but you're still bringing your kids to church. You're dropping them off on Wednesday nights. You're coming here on Sundays. And, and, and you believe, the reason why you're doing that is because you believe that your kids need to be right here in church. It's the best place they need to be. And because they are going to not live a perfect life. Our kids, aren't, our, kids, our kids have been in church all their life. But they aren't perfect. But guess what? When they mess up, they know who to go to. They know where to turn to. They know who to call on when they mess up. Why? Because they've been in church. So single mom or single dad or or, or, or if, even if you're not single, if your spouse is not coming, coming with you to church, don't give up. Keep striving on. Keep pressing on. Since we've started this, this new initiative of just a reminder, this challenge of give, invite, connect, we just shared a, an, a, an, a great praise report of what God is doing through our, our, our generosity and there's some, there some new givers who've just come on board and said, or, and there's some people who's like, you know what, I feel like I need to give more. And so, some of you have, have done that. You've stepped out on faith. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up. But guess what? You're doing it. Why? Because God said it. You believe it. And you're going to do it. And you you have stepped, to the, stepped up to the challenge. Not that your pastor has just done it, but the Holy Spirit is challenging you to give. And that right there 
is faith. That can I see? Let me tell you something. Whatever situation you're in, and I could spend all day talking about lots of different scenarios, like I just said. But let me tell you something that's really important. Your faith, Jesus sees you. Okay? Those families who are bringing their kids and, and, and doing whatever it takes, Jesus sees you. Those who are in, in, in maybe in some marriage trouble, but you're, you're fighting through it and you're working through it and you're bringing Jesus in it, Jesus sees you. Those who are giving, even our new givers or people who want to give more, Jesus sees you. He sees your faith. He sees your faith. And he is pleased by that. Now it's important that with this man, Jesus didn't sense his faith or the faith of his friends. He didn't feel their faith. Bible said he saw their faith. Faith is action. Faith is action. You may have faith in your heart, but until that faith is something that can be seen in action on your part, then I dare say it is a dead faith. In fact, we see this in, you don't have to turn there, but we don't have the scripture, but in in James chapter 2, it talks about faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without action is dead. You can have all the faith you want, but if you don't do something with that faith, it's just dead. It's It's just dormant. It still might be there, but it's just dormant. It's like the, it's like the grass in my yard right now. <laughs> it's dormant. And so you want to do what you can to take that faith and put it into action. So Jesus saw their faith. That's the first thing Jesus saw. Okay, we see that. Second thing, we see this in verse 5. When he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are are forgiven. The irony here is that it seems that Jesus doesn't see the need at all. <laughs> I mean, here you have this, this paralyzed man being dropped down in the ceiling <laughs> in his bed, and, and Jesus looks at him, and, and it's obvious what this man needs, right? And what does Jesus say to him? Your sins are forgiven. That's really interesting for Jesus to say that to a man who was paralyzed. What does Jesus see? Jesus saw the real need. Jesus saw the need. He said, well, the need is he's paralyzed. Yep, that's the obvious need. But what's the deep need? What is the real need? Everybody else knows it. And everybody's cheering for Jesus to to heal this man and so they can see a miracle and him just get up and walk. And it seems like the only one who doesn't see the need is Jesus. (laughs) After Jesus says this, there is some silence. And the reason why we know there's silence because the Bible says there is time for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were around there. Maybe they were inside the house or right outside the house. But they heard Jesus say this and they had these thoughts in their head. So there were silence. Imagine 
This paralyzed man, and Jesus tells him, your sins are forgiven. He's like, okay. And silence. And it's like, go on. <laughs> go on. There, 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 there's, something, there's something more. Maybe he starts hitting his legs, you know, or something. He's like, hey, you know, there, there's something here. I would imagine he might have been a little disappointed in that moment. And not only him, but his friends. They're looking down from the ceiling in the hole. They're seeing the whole thing from above. And they're going, okay, that's great. But, and, and, and even some of their fears, you know, risky faith. You do something like that, and what you thought was hoping was going to happen, or what you hope was going to happen, is not happening. You're like, oh my goodness, my, my faith was too risky. My faith was too bold. Maybe my faith was too crazy. Now I look silly. And my fears are coming to fruition. But see, it would seem that this guy would be a little disappointed. He had to, he had to said to himself, you know, Jesus, I, I appreciate you saying that I'm forgiven, but there's a bigger problem. But what Jesus is saying is this. You don't have a bigger problem. I mean, I mean, no, this is not the bigger problem. What you think, what you think is the bigger problem is not the big problem. The sin in your life is bigger than your suffering. The sin in your life is bigger than your suffering. That is a message that you and I can use today. Whatever people are going through, the sin in our life is bigger than our suffering. Meaning, it's more important than our suffering. Not saying that Jesus doesn't care about your suffering, because he does. He cares greatly about your suffering, but he cares more about your sin. You must realize that the most important urgent issue in anyone's life is never their suffering, but always their sin. Jesus took care of his deepest need first. Jesus took care of his deepest needs. The deepest needs we all have are the ones that most people don't see. You realize that? The deepest needs we all have are the ones that most people don't see, but God sees, but Jesus sees. They're not the obvious ones, Jesus definitely saw the obvious need. Obvious, right? He can't walk. But he cared for this man so much that he went deeper into the most pressing need in his life. So our primary problem is our sin and our life. Jesus wants to meet your obvious needs, but his number one mission is to first take care of your sins. That's why he came to earth. That's the number one reason. He's healing people just to show his, his deity, just to show signs and wonders. But he didn't come to earth just to, just to heal people and feed 5,000 people. He came to earth to die for our sins. That was his mission. So he's going to go all the way to his main purpose of what he is here and why he is here. You know, I can only imagine that this paralyzed man must have thought, you know, before this day happened, if you put yourself on this man's mat, on this man's bed, 
He's there day after day. His friends probably bring him back and forth from maybe his, from his home to here. So they're, they're probably used to him doing that or others may have done this. But imagine yourself sitting there thinking, if only I could walk. <coughs> if only I could walk. Then imagine the things that I can do. Man, I'd never complain. Things would be so good. I would have to be a burden to anybody. And that, to that, Jesus says, you're wrong. You don't need to think that. The reason is that the discontent of human beings goes much deeper than that. You see, the problem wasn't in his legs. The biggest problem was what was in his heart. And we say, well, Pastor Rick, how do we know that this man was a bad man or that? Hey, he's human and he's a sinner, just like all of us. You see, Jesus needed to make sure that he took care of this sin, the most important thing in his life, rather than just his legs. The problem was not in his legs, but in his heart. You know, we could do the same thing ourselves. We could walk in this life and say, you know, if I only had that, if things were a little bit different, if I looked a certain way, if I had these many kind of, these type of friends, or if I had this kind of job, life would be so much different. Jesus wants to change everything in your life, starting from the ground of your heart. Starting from the ground of your heart. It's not about making a, a few tweaks in your marriage or your finances or your habits about relationships. Yes, that's a byproduct. But that's not the main issue. That's not the main problem. It's starting with your heart. It starts with the heart. It's like Jesus looked at the man and said, I, I don't want you to exist better I don't want you just to exist better. I want you to know why you exist. Jesus knows that if he heals this man's legs, but does nothing about his sin, that he will be separated from God for eternity. And Jesus did not want that to happen. So Jesus saw their faith, saw the faith of his friends, and mostly their friends, but obviously him as well. And he saw the need. He saw the deepest need, which is in the deepest heart of hearts. You know, as a church, we help people all the time. We, help, we, we have people that, are, that are call us and say, hey, I, I need some help, or I need a little bit of food, or, you know, and I need some assistance. And, and we try to do some of that as best we can. And um, in fact, we have a, a, a new ministry here where we're meeting people's needs through an app and, and, we're, and we were super excited. It's brand new and, and stuff. So people have needs, absolutely. It's the obvious needs. But you know, one thing we do as a church is that we, we do not just meet a need without connecting it to Jesus. Because we would be doing a disservice. It's not about their electric bill. That's about their heart. Where are they going to spend eternity? It's not about them having, not having food on the table. That's not the biggest need. The biggest need is a heart. And we're all sinners. And so, if a church 
just meets the needs of people without connecting them to Jesus, they're not meeting the need. We as a church, we meet the need. You know backpack buddies? We load up backpack buddies. I think there's like 20 kids, students we sponsor here at Red Top Middle School. We've been doing it for 11 years. Obviously, the, the kids change and the, and the number of students change. The students that we used to help a long time ago, they're, they're already graduated high school and going on with their life. But you know one of the things we do periodically? We will put in a devotional in the, in the bag. You know why? Because we want to connect it to Jesus. It's not about just giving them food, providing for their needs. Yeah, the obvious needs, absolutely. But we want to take care of the biggest needs. So Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw his need. And then last is that Jesus sees the cross. Say the cross, this is kind of early in his ministry. Yes, it is. But let's read, uh, look at, back at Mark chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know what? They're totally right. They're 100% correct. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Do you know what Jesus is claiming here? The scribes and Pharisees realized that in order for Jesus to be able to forgive the sins of, the, of this man, it means it's, he's making the claim that he is the creator of that man. That he is his creator. And so immediately they responded. Look at verse 8 and 9, verse 8 through 11. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that, they were, uh, that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The question Jesus gives them is this, which is easier? Which is easier? What is the point that Jesus is trying to get across? What is the main point of the question? Which is easier? You know, on the surface, he seems to say something like this. I recognize that anyone can say your sins are forgiven, but not anybody can heal. So I will show you that I'm the Lord of heaven, and I have the authority to forgive sins, by telling this man to pick up his mat and go home. And even at first glance, it could seem that he's saying, you know, it's a lot harder to heal someone than it is to forgive their sins. But I don't think that's what he's saying here. We know this from the way Mark structures his story. Mark uses language that points to the reality that Jesus is, is, is processing here. You see, because he has, he has a goal, his mission. Remember, his mission is not just to heal people, feed people. He has an end goal. We see this in, Mark, in verse 9. Go to verse 9. Which is easier to say. That's a word I'm going to bring out. Which is easier to say 
to the paralyzed man. Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. When Mark uses the word say, it's a synonym for the word do. Saying is synonymous with action. Now look at verse 11. I tell you, or I say to you, it's another version uses, I say to you, get up, take your mat, and go home. What's going on here is that whatever Jesus says, it affects it. When Jesus speaks, when he says something, something happens. It's just like in creation. God spoke things into creation, and things appeared. And so there's power in what he says. What he says, when he says something, something happens. We see it in, in when God said, let there be light, what happened? There was light. God's word is his action. There's a dynamic connection between God speaking and the things coming into existence. So when Jesus tells us, man, your sins are forgiven, the cross comes into existence. He tells us, man, again, his deepest need. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus, his mind goes to the cross. Why? Because that's the reason why he came. Biblical scholars say that for the first time, the shadow of the cross falls on the path of Jesus during this encounter. What Jesus is saying is this. Listen, it would seem on the surface that saying, take up your bed and, uh, bed and walk is harder, but I'll tell you, that saying your sins are forgiven will be ultimately harder because it would cost me my life. Which is easier? Say this man's sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk? On the surface, it would seem, I'll just say your sins are forgiven. Then to heal a man, no, it's the opposite. Because Jesus is looking to the cross I tell you, it's much harder for me to say your sins are forgiven because what I'm going to say, I'm going to do. What I'm going to say, I'm going to do. And it would be much, much harder. So in this story, Jesus sees the cross and he keeps a mission in mind ahead of him. In fact, we see in Isaiah 53, 5, a little bit of portion about the cross. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Here's the reality. Jesus sees you. He knows where you're at. He knows your doubt. He knows your questions. He knows your fears. He knows what you think will satisfy you, and he knows what you think you need, but he knows truly what you need. So in this story, 
Jesus saw their faith. Is, are you living a faith that catches the attention of Jesus? That's the goal. We want to walk in faith. I know it doesn't make sense, but Jesus will see it. He will recognize it. And then he will also see our biggest need. He will see the need that's not on the surface, that's not the obvious need. He will see the need that is deep down in the heart, the need that other people can't see. And that's where he wants to go, in the heart of hearts. Yes, he cares about your obvious needs, but it's bigger than that. And just know this, everything is about what he did on the cross. Everything was about what he did on the cross. And even meeting your needs is about what he did on the cross. You know, this story would not have happened if, um, if people wouldn't have uh, brought, him to, brought this man to Jesus. This story would not have happened, wouldn't have been in the Bible, if these friends did not invite this man to Jesus. You know, I've, I've been sharing give, invite, connect. On your seats, you probably notice this. These are invite cards. There's a stack of them. You take as many sacks as you want. There are sacks of 10. Please don't just put these in your car, in your glove box, leave them there. Just keep them out. Use them to invite people, neighbors, friends, strangers. Use these. We got, we got a thousand of them. We got plenty. We got more to pass out next week. Use these invite cards. Invite them to church. Easter's coming, March 31st. They're going to hear the gospel. But there is someone who is spiritually paralyzed in your life that they can't get to Jesus unless you bring them to him. Now, yes, they can call upon Jesus no matter where they're at. But you're a part of that process. God has put you in the path of their life to help lead them to Jesus and to where hope is found. And so be like one of those friends. We say, well, I've got friends that will never come. You don't know that. They may say that. I've got family that will never show up. You don't know that. They may say that. That's not what you believe. But I encourage you, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And, and so I challenge you to invite people to hear hope and to understand this. Your, your need, your, your most pressing need, it may not be your most pressing need. <laughs> your pressing need is really what's in here. So some of the problems we go through are often sin from what's in our heart. Allow Jesus to penetrate here. Allow Jesus to be here. And so there are people who've allowed Jesus to do that. There are some people, maybe you haven't done that. So let me close out with a word of prayer. If you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes as we close out this service. You're sitting here today and you're like, you know, Pastor Frank, I've never... I've never really surrendered my, my will to him, to Jesus. I've never given him my life. 
I've never invited them in. You could do that right now. Just simply say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Please forgive me my sin. Please come into my life. I need you to touch me. I need hope. And I need a new life. And if you're sitting here today and you've got just an, an obvious need, I want you to dig deeper from that obvious need, whatever that is, family, financial, physical, whatever that need is. I, I want you to dig down to the heart of hearts and, and invite Jesus there and say, here's the real problem. Here's the real problem. I, I, I'm having the outer problem, the surface problem, because maybe there's some there's some a discontent in my heart or there's some anger and, or bitterness or, unsel- or maybe some selfishness or pride. There's always something deeper. So invite Jesus to go deeper into your heart and to realize what's there and allow him to clean that up. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We can open your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for seeing our faith. Thank you, Lord, for what you do in the life of our church. So great news. And uh, thank you, Lord, for going to the real need of, 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 of what we go through. Lord, there's, a, there's people hurting here today. And I pray, Father, you just breathe new life into them. Breathe new, fresh life into them. And let them know, Lord, they're not alone. That you are near to them. You see them. You don't ignore them. You see them, and you're there. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Hey, don't forget those invite cards. Get as many as you, uh, as you can. And uh, lots of activities that are coming up in the life of our church. You can check those out on our church app. Make sure you sign up. And come back next week. We start with uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Love you guys. See you all next Sunday.